0: Heavenly Father we lift ourselves to you all that we are the very air that we breathe every thought that we have every emotion we feel every dream that we possess all the relationships we enjoy and the wealth that you have given and we say take us Lord, breathe on us, breathe into us, and Lord, breathe through us. And just open us now, Lord, to all it is that we can become in your love and for your glory. Amen. Be seated, thank you. It's hard to put into words uh, the the joy and excitement that uh, Sheila and I have both had just being here in Auckland at this incredible event, shout. And uh, just to just to say um, my own my own appreciation, you know, um, I speak at maybe 65 different events a year, uh, sometimes thousands of people each time organized usually by the largest corporations in the world. I work with 400 of the top 2,000 companies in the world. And I speak at many of the largest events, usually showing a platform with their CEOs or their chairman, with their most important VIPs or their, or their global teams. And I can tell you, I see the very best of the best of the best when it comes to professionalism, our sharpness, our presentation, communication, attention to detail, sheer extraordinary precision, And I have to say, this is absolutely in the super, super league. Every single thing that you guys have done, I just think it's just absolutely incredible. And, you know, it's easy for us as church to drift into mediocre because you think it doesn't really matter. But actually, it really does matter when we're communicating to a world. Because, you know, God is calling you out of the ghetto and into the city. And that means that we need to use the tools, the language, and the experience of the city in order to communicate to the city. Paul said, I have become like a Gentile to win the Gentiles. I've become like a banker to win the bankers. And I've become like a rock concert in order to win people who would normally come into Sparks for Elton John, for The Who, for Beyoncé, for just about uh, Duran Duran, whoever it is, they're all coming through Sparks. And so when they come in there, it's extraordinary. We walk down the back of the corridor. uh, There's some sacred areas that (laughs) um, I'm so blessed for Nathan and others who've guided us and navigated through this labyrinth (laughs) and taking such good care of us this week. And as we navigated around around the back, you see all these uh, photographs of all these huge bands and all these lists of people. And everyone who's anyone, who's everyone, who's anyone, who's anyone in the entire world in the area of pop and celebrity has played in Sparks. And that's where you've been, in Sparks. And what have you been doing? You've been celebrating, not, uh, not uh, Elton John, but you've been celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and uh, I'm, so, I'm so pleased that you, that, uh, you just honoured all the volunteers because that's what I was going to start by doing, you know. I was, uh, the hundreds and hundreds, and even today, you know, you guys take it for granted, but I don't, okay. Uh, there's a monumental task to just put an LED screen like that up, I can tell you. No, you just think it's a projector and a screen, I assure you. Put your hands up if you've been here since 5.30 this morning, put your hands up. Give them a special round of applause. I'm going to talk about work today. You see your work is your ministry, and your ministry is your work. And so often we get confused because we think they're different. We think that work is something we do until we can get into our ministry, or we think that work is something we do when we're not doing our ministry, or our ministry is something that delivers us from work, or we get very confused. But your work is your ministry, your ministry is your work, and the people who volunteered this morning are doing a holy thing, and the people who are sweeping the streets outside here are doing a holy thing. the people who clean the toilets and the petrol station are doing a holy thing because your ministry is work and your work is ministry and work is what God has called you to do for his glory. But I just want a statistic to encourage you. I did some math. I like doing statistics, you see. I did some math sitting there. I couldn't help it. I was sitting there. Um, and as Nathan knows, I, I make Nathan very nervous. See, Nathan's been, Nathan's been instructed to look after me, you see. So I keep on going wandering off. I go, I go walk about. You see? see He's gone. He's gone again. Yeah, I mean, just now. You know, I love walking to the back of the meeting because I find God speaks to me in the back about what's going to happen at the front. And so I was there at the back. You see, so Nathan's thinking, "Oh my God, I've lost him again." So, He's <gasps> gone. He's done. A, give him a round of applause. david has been fantastic. <laughs> So I I, I like wandering around and I'm I'm just talking to the Lord about things, you see, I'm just just talking to the Lord about sparks and we're having a conversation about it. And uh, I I realized just doing the mass, that if you were in my country, because you, you see New Zealand is a relatively small nation, okay, but just to give you an idea of the size of the people movement that you are in, if you were in my country. The equivalent in size of gathering, if we have to proportion up for the size of the population, correct? You understand what I'm saying here. So, uh, in my country, uh, to have a, to have the same proportion of people in my country in an event, which is which is of which the dominant age group is probably 18 to 30, 35 okay to have the same number of people in my country you'd have to hire the largest football stadium in the country and it would not be big enough you'd have hundred and twenty five thousand young people all celebrating Jesus Christ isn't that extraordinary now even more extraordinary is this that if you were in America that's the equivalent of what this movement is if you were in America I've just calculated You would need a stadium that could hold 650,000 young people all there for only one reason because there's one Lord Jesus Christ, there's one gospel, there's one mission, and one purpose in human lives. And if someone said to you, "Oh, you must come. You know, you need to fly to America. Why is that?" Because on the fifteenth to the seventeenth of July next year, there's going to be this event. It's open air. It's going to be the largest youth event that America's ever experienced. There's going to be youth and uh, not every age, actually, but and there's going to be loads of nations there. There's going to be six hundred and fifty thousand people there. It's a people movement. You'd say, "Well, of course, it's a people movement. Six hundred thousand, six hundred 600,000 from the U.S., 50,000 from other countries, you say, wow, I've got to be there, right? Wouldn't you? My friends, that's just what you've done. That is, it. You see, you can't find anywhere bigger than Sparks. If Elton John comes here, he has to be in Sparks. He has to be in the rain, okay? It is here. It's here. It's here. This It's just being in the biggest place that the country possesses. So I'm just saying, open your eyes and see what God is doing and give thanks to him that in terms of in terms of, in terms of impact on your nation in terms of impact on your nation I remember the AIDS ministry which my wife and I started uh, 30 years ago it started in our home through my work as a doctor looking after people dying of cancer and then I was asked to look after People with AIDS, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't particularly want to and God convicted me and I became involved. And very quickly we had programs all over the world In, in within two years in Romania, in Uganda, in Thailand uh, and, and today uh, we, we have programs in, in Czech Republic, in Slovakia, in Ukraine, in Belarus, in Kazakhstan, in India, in Thailand, in Congo, in Nigeria, in Zimb- uh, all over the world that have come because Christian men and women got hold of a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ and his unconditional love for human beings, even those who feel no love, or even people with the equivalent of leprosy today, as people with HIV often feel. It's a bit like Ebola. And uh, because they got hold of that vision, this movement spread. But you know, there was one tiny place where we had a program. In fact, we had a program here in New Zealand for a while, actually here in Auckland, working in schools. Uh, but there was one tiny place. It's called Jersey. It's only an island of 70,000. And I worked out. That, if that even if it was a tiny program, they were a bit depressed, they were only small. They were one of the smallest groups in asset. But I said, because your entire nation is only 70,000 people, actually the size of your program, it, it's equivalent to us having a, a turnover in the UK of a hundred million dollars a year. I said, what? Yeah, but we're only turning over about 50,000. Yeah, I know because you're small. I'm just just saying we need to see what God sees and understand that this is an extraordinarily, in this country, an extraordinarily significant movement. As Sheila and I were driving around uh, yesterday, I started doing the Mass. I said, Sheila, do you realize that that in in this conference was one in 250 of all 15 to 30-year-olds in the country, one in 250 of the entire country. Um, actually, in terms of Christians in the country, young, Christian young people, it, an unbelievably high proportion. It must have been one in, one in, one in 10, nearly. I mean, uh, so, whoop, there's another one. You just right. whoop, there's another one, because every hundredth house for passing must have another one. Oh, there's one there, there's, well, there's one there. They were all in the conference last week. <laughs> Extraordinary so often you see we're blind to what it is that God is doing we understate what God's doing but you have enormous power and influence if you understand that your ministry is your work and your work is your ministry because otherwise you will not manage it because if you think that somehow your ministry is only what happens in church then actually you have no impact in the world whatsoever I'll tell you this Jesus did not come to create meetings Jesus did not even come to fill sparks he came for his kingdom. And that is something completely different. You see people often ask me about work. We spend a lot of time in work. We agonize about work. Put your hands up if you had a question about what kind of job you should do, whether you should change your job, what you do in your job, or what you should train for a job. Put your hands up if you had a question like that in the last year. You see? Um, we, it's enormous. I could tell you, wherever I went in sparks, people want to talk to me. They want to talk about faith in Jesus Christ and prayer, but they really want to talk to me about their jobs because it's really, really important. So today, I'm going to talk about work in the morning and I'm going to talk about your calling tonight. How do you know what you're called to do? What, how do you hear? How, do you, how, how are you sure who you're called to get married to? How do you know which, whether you're called to leave that job and get another job? How do you know if you're called to change nation that you're living in? How do, you, how do you get hold of these things? Because it's very easy to sort out a problem in work and miss your calling altogether. But let's have a look at work first. People often ask me about work, and it doesn't matter whether they're a nurse or whether they work on a building site or whether they work in, as a chef. And um, and many people are paralysed about work. Uh, they, we had we heard um, about being paralyzed, paralyzed I think it was on the first evening, wasn't it, with was Pastor Rodriguez and taking up his map. Who was there for that? You saw that. But actually I see people paralysed at work. They told me that they feel trapped. They told me that they're not sure that they could get another job. They feel um uh um, yeah, all, all kind, trapped in all kinds of ways. I remember one person once came to me at London Business School, and I, and, I said, and uh, they, said, um, they, they came after, after a session, and uh, they were talking about work-life balance and getting a better work-life balance. And I said to them, um, so, uh, well, you just need to tell your boss. You need to be clear about the ground on which you stand. See, It's not Christians only who ask questions about work. Everyone's asking questions about work. We're obsessed with work, rightly so, because it's such a huge part of our lives. So you need to be clear about the ground on which you stand, what you're prepared to do, what you're not prepared to do, and then go and talk to your boss. And he said, well, he won't like it. I said, I don't care. (laughs) You need to believe in yourself, have the conversation with your boss. And I don't care whether it's something to do with integrity, you say to your boss, I'm not prepared to, 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 uh, to sell this product because it sucks. Actually, no one should be buying this product. So either we stop selling it or I'm leaving. <laughs> 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 or it's about you. And you say, actually, my work-life balance, I, I need to be sure. I, I am not prepared to work 4,322 hours a week. I'm only prepared to work 2,322 hours a week. He says, no, I can't do that. I'll lose my job. Oh I said so you're afraid So you've become an economic slave John not an economic slave how dare you I said, yes because you're afraid See you're afraid you're afraid that if you tell your boss the truth if you stand up for integrity and honesty you'll lose your job Oh I'm terrible lose my job So what So what <laughs> yeah. Or you know it's is it's destroy my marriage and never see my kids I can't work like this Well, if you're not prepared to talk to your boss, you're already an economic slave. He already owns your soul. Actually, I often say to people, if you're not prepared to walk, you're already corrupt. I said that to the European Union. I did a lecture to the European High Commission on Integrity in Leadership. And I discovered, as I suspected, that a very high proportion of the people in that meeting were already corrupt and they confessed it to me using their secret electronic polling systems. And if you don't believe me, thank God, someone had the courage to record that entire seminar, give me the video, and give the permission to broadcast it on YouTube. And I asked questions about whether people have been asked in the last year to do things which they believe were immoral, and whether they'd complied. And the answer was, in most cases, yes. We had it up there on the screen. Secret voting, electronic voting. You can watch the video for yourself. I wasn't surprised, I'd already told them that. I said, most of you are about to press this button. And I know why, because most of you told me that you can't afford to leave. You're paid so much money, and the jobs and perks are so fantastic, you could never imagine getting a better job anywhere else from the point of view of pay, which means you have already sold your soul. You're already corrupted you have already become an economic slave they were very cross with me and then they showed me the statistics (laughs) on the screen actually I'm not laughing about this this is really serious so it's very important that if your work is your ministry your ministry is your work you know what it is that you're called to you know the ground on which you stand There are things that you will do, there are things that you won't do because they are either morally wrong or they're completely inconsistent with your personal values. Now that's the downside. The the upside is that you become the best servant of all servants that could possibly serve and you serve and you bless and encourage you speak well of people you treat people with dignity and respect you always treat your customers like you'd like you'd like to be treated yourself you honor those who you work with you are the most fantastic employer and employee that the world has ever seen why because that's what God's called you to do because work is your ministry and your ministry is your work and in everything you do you give glory to him but the point is this that many people are paralyzed about work because they are afraid the first thing I say is you need to be, you need to put your job on the line and hold it lightly and be prepared to walk. Be prepared to walk. And then you find that you can stand up for that principle in the board meeting. You see, if you're not prepared to resign over an issue, you're not fit to be on a board of a company. Yeah? If you're not prepared to walk out of a company because they're asking you to bend the books, you're not fit to be an employee. Because your ministry is your work, and your work is your ministry, and these things are one. And as you walk truth, I'll tell you this, your light will shine. So what happened? Even on this business of work-life balance, someone came to me, oh, and um, she said, no, oh, no, I could never do that. I said, believe me, go and talk to your boss. So she went to talk to her boss, and, and she rushed back the following week. She said, hey, you never guess what just happened. Yeah, I can guess what happened. She said, no, you never guess. I, 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 tell me, try me. <laughs> I talked to my boss Mm -hmm. yeah I told him listen I love you I love the company I think it's really great I I, I wouldn't really want to work for anybody else but there's a problem I can't I'm not willing to work 4,322 hours a week I'm only willing to work 2,422 hours a week in other words um, in other words I really want to drop half a day In fact, I want to work drop a whole day I want to drop a whole day boss said mm. she went away she said I, I lost I thought I lost my job because you know the moment you start showing you're not fully committed and you're not fully in for this and people start marking you down and anyway following day he'd obviously had a very bad night's sleep he summoned me in come here Julia so Julia was summoned into the office now then he said I've had a terrible night's sleep <laughs> what's all this about you need to reduce your hours this is ridiculous of course you've got to reduce your hours that's absolutely fine what's going to happen you're going to work four days a week I'm going to increase your daily pay to what it was so you're going to be paid exactly the same for five days for four days a week as it was for five I'm going to give you a bonus is there anything else you'd like <laughs> do you know why I'll tell you why because she believed in herself she understood that her ministry her work her works I mean, she's not going to do things which are completely wrong and actually she knew she prayed about it and she really felt it was right That she worked, you know, what she landed up doing is working full time, but normal hours, okay? Because of course she's going to pick up the phone on her day off, but she's not working the crazy hours, and she got permission basically to be at home. Some of the time, it's really, really important that we're not paralyzed. That when we feel like we're pushing weights uphill, it's, uh, you can say, Well, yeah, we'll pray through the weight. But actually, sometimes this is easy. it's as easily as just talking about the situation with people at work and being open with them about what it is. Now, let's have a look at what the Bible says about work. Firstly, work is what we're called to do, it's nothing to do with being paid, okay? Your work is what you are called to do. Okay? So, I'm talking today about work, whether you're a a mum looking after kids at home, uh, whether you are um, a a single woman at the age of 60 looking after an older mother, uh, whether you are a, a house dad looking after three children while your wife's at work your work is what you are called to do it's the stuff of life it could be shopping shopping is work believe me I know that okay shopping is work it is as holy a calling to go shopping for the kids as it is to prepare a sermon to preach on a Sunday morning isn't that right say hello yeah you work is see John 9 verse 4 um, Jesus said so long as it is day we must do the work of him who sent me What's was the work? The work is, is anything and everything that God calls you to do. Uh, Jesus said, John 4, verse 34, My food, my food, the very substance that makes up the, the genetic code of my body, the thing that sustains my muscles and my, t- and my hair and my teeth and makes me grow, my food, the thing I live off, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So, what's my life purpose? I'm going to go to that one this evening, okay, in terms of calling. Uh, but actually, the trouble is that what can happen in work is that things. You know, we get a text or a phone call or we get summoned to a meeting or we lose our jobs or all kinds of things happen. Things happen in our lives and we kind of feel a, a, can sometimes feel a real big full stop a jolt at work. We can think actually it's, it's over or I don't know what's going to happen or my career's been blocked or, or someone's been really awful to me or uh, you know, something, something is happening which is throwing me badly off course and at this point work-life balance is just getting completely out of control and at these times we need to understand the avatar of work. Okay, so in Genesis 2 verse 15 God took man and placed him it where in the garden of Eden this amazing wonderful place to to do what to sit on his backside and enjoy it no To work it and to take care of it that's what scripture says and the word that's used for work is avodar. this is a very special word because it, it's used elsewhere in the Bible for worship for service as well as for works. So it's one word, rule wrapped up. So what you do, your ministry is your work. Why? Because your ministry is work, service, worship. It's all of these things, all of these things fused together. So when you're doing your emails, you are worshipping God. When you are answering the phone, you are doing it as an act of service to another human being you are looking to be a blessing and an encouragement to them. This is your work. This is what it's all about. Joshua 24 verse 15, he had a stand-up fight with the people who, was, who he was leading. And he said, you can go that way, you can go that way, you can go that way. I don't care whatever. It's a bit like that business of being an economic slave. You can be a slave as a leader. Do you know that? You can be, you can be enslaved as a leader to the opinion of your people. It can happen in a company, and I believe you and me, it can happen in a church. It's where we start providing messages that we think people will like where we do things for approval, for accolades, for all kinds of wrong reasons. But Joshua was militant about this. He said, I know the ground on which I stand. This is the ground I and my family will stand upon. It's the ground of the kingdom of God. It's a holy place. And as for me and my household, I don't care where you're going, but we will, Avadar, we will serve the Lord. Work, service and worship. We will work and serve and worship the Lord. And that is our calling. And you know, uh, work has changed. Things are getting incredibly frenetic. We think about um, text and emails, and you, know, you can even donate through SMS and so on. Imagine last night, for some absurd reason, you're, you're eating a McDonald's hamburger, you're watching the match, uh, you're doing FaceTime to another person on the so- other side of the world, you're, uh, I don't know what else you're doing, and for some bizarre reason, you decided to check Britney Spears' birthdate. I don't know why, but you did. Okay. <laughs> so you type in Britney Spears' birthdate into Google, and you press the button to wait for Britney Spears. Nothing's happening. How many seconds will you break for Britney Spears before you press the back button? Put your hands up if you're out in five seconds. I mean, life's too short to wait for Britney Spears' birthday. Come on, have a look around. OK. Why? Because after two seconds, you're irritated. After three seconds, you're blaming all the kids upstairs because they're Netflixing videos. After four seconds, you think that the government of North Korea has attacked the entire internet infrastructure of North Ireland. North Island. <coughs> And after five seconds you've lost the world to live. You say, take me, Lord, I want to be with you right now. <laughs> life's too short to waste more than five seconds doing something stupid. Put it in your hands if you find it irritating how long it takes to fill the car with diesel in the rain. Why? Because twenty seconds is like a million years. I mean life's too absolutely ridiculous. We become very short, short, tempered, short. Uh, thinking short term short just about everything else we become short with our children short with our spouses short with everything but God is a long God (laughs) and he takes the long haul you see Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever shall I tell you the interesting thing about work The most important things that you do at work are exactly the same things that were done in Jesus' time 2,000 years ago. Isn't that extraordinary? Come on. I'm a futurist. I live in the future. My job is to live in the year 2050 and to look back at history. That's my job. I tell you that what you do in work, the most important things that you do in work, are exactly the same things that people did in work 2,000 years ago. And what are they? They're thinking up extraordinary ways to improve the lives of other human beings. Yeah? Yeah. Extraordinary ways to improve the lives of other human beings, other human beings at work. You know, we could find a better way to do this. I could save you so much time, let me help you. And we look at ways to help our bosses to say, give that to me, I could take that from you. I I could really, I've got a team of people, Let, let me do that for you because there's lots of me but there's only one of you. It's all about serving, actually. It's about blessing. It's about encouragement. It's about a vision of a better world. It's about making life, uh, it's about making, making the, the toils of life more bearable for other human beings. It's about doing extraordinary things for which you get paid a huge amount of money, hopefully, because people want to say thank you. Just amazing to have you around. You know, you can't, you can't lead without using the teachings of Jesus. It is impossible to have a a business school leadership training program without using the teachings of Jesus. I don't care whether they're atheists or Hindus or Buddhists, they will teach the teachings of Jesus. What are the teachings of Jesus? Love your customers yourself, (laughs) treat people well, disciple people, invest in your key people. Know who they are. Don't spread yourself too thin. 72 is okay, but actually, you want to know who your 12 are. And be ready, one of them will let you down, so you better have a backup. (laughs) (laughs) And when you're investing your time in your 12, work out who your three are, because they're your future. The whole of your future business will be built on three, not on 12. And when you've worked out the three, work out who the rock is the one who actually is going to be the person who really you know, he could take the entire business so you can do the next one Um, and then work out who's the glue who's the glue, who's the person who's got the values, when the person who's got the rock is about to go over an ethical cliff who's the person saying, no, 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 we don't do it like that this is, this is the heart of our company, this is what we believe in, these are our values Peter and John. <laughs> so, it's fundamental. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so are the fundamental truths about work. I was at the home of some uh, wonderful, delightful um, uh, Christian couple in. Uh, Melbourne uh, on the way here, we were we, I was lecturing in Melbourne in Sydney uh, for a big corporation, and then each time I did also a christian businessman 's event in Melbourne. then we came to Wellington, I did another a big uh, a fund uh, uh, event there for fund managers and things like that um, and then, uh, and then we landed up in in, in auckland but in, in Melbourne, um, there 's a wonderful Christian couple there, and in fact uh, the guy is one of the investors in one of the companies we have with Ravi Dua here uh, helping small companies to go global, global innovators and uh, I was praying about this couple and I realized that you know he was a very very prominent business person one of the most effective and powerful business people in Australia God's really anointed him and gifted him as he's been, he's been a fantastic servant he just found ways to bless bless other companies, bless people inside companies, and most important make sure there's blessing for customers because that's what business is all about isn't it? when you bless your customers they reward you with profit that's what happens that's what it's about anyway so he's a very successful business person his wife very very prominent Christian leader in their network um, huge prominent role in the Alpha uh, if you know Alpha a big evangelistic program globally of cells um, encountering Jesus Christ going through the scriptures in small groups and, uh, and I realized I'd never talked to them about this, but I realized I made a prediction, which is that if John and Melinda were both to turn up into a, into a large Christian conference, it was most likely that Melinda would be given the accolades, because church leader, worship leader, preaching, preaching, all John being more in the background, but actually incredibly successful, generating you know, vast amounts of wealth for the kingdom of God, probably less profiled. Yeah. And I realized in my own life, you see, I started off um, as a, a, a doctor, you get loads of points for being a doctor in a church. Okay, you get not not ten out of ten. Only the pastors get ten out of ten. You get about eight point five. Okay, eight point five, eight point five. Yeah, and nurses eight eight point five, eight point seven seven five. Teachers about eight point five. And then it, I, I I I started a company. Ooh. <laughs> ten if you're very 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 well known as a church leader. Um, I started the company, uh, a company, a med tech company. Down to 3.2, 3.2, 3.1, 4, 3.2 because it. It does help people, but it's kind of business, it's not quite as spiritual as being a doctor. Or a church leader. Oh, even worse. Now, now I work with pharmaceutical companies. Ah, They make so much money out of people who are sick. I don't know how you can do that and live with your conscience. (laughs) You work with Google. They suck all people's data and they manipulate it for evil purposes. <laughs> I'm, just saying, uh, I'm just saying that I- I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure I'm only talking about British culture and Australian culture. I'm sure, I'm sure Kiwi culture is completely different in the church. I mean, I mean, of course, you know that ministry is work, works ministry, and business is ministry, and business is work. Uh, but actually, I'm not sure that we do. You see, I talk to people about jobs they you do, and they say, well, you know, I'm wondering if I should go to full-time Christian ministry. I'll just be a teacher? <laughs> and I say, well, um, <laughs> I don't think I can answer that question because already you've got a, a view of ministry and work, which is kind of, we need to have a think about this. Is it? People say, oh, well, I'm so pleased that you're talking to these evil pharmaceutical companies because you can talk to them about ethics and accountability and principles and integrity and values. So the, now the only reason why they're allowing me to go in to talk at a business school is because I hope... Someone said to me the other day, so do you preach the gospel when you get in front of the MBA students at a business school? I said, what? I mean, do you, you, know, do you have opportunities to share your faith? Okay. Listen. If you're running, a, uh, if you're running um, let's say, a shop that sells milk... I hope no one comes to you and says, yes, but when you sell your milk, do you give them a tract to learn about the faith of Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, I don't think you should be in business, you know. I just say, <laughs> I just say we, can't, we lose the plot here. See, what is it about? If I'm, if I'm lecturing to some people, let's say, on a strategy, uh, they are paying me to do a particular job. What are they buying from me? Those people are paying for me a lecture on strategy. They know I'm a Christian. I'm not hiding that. It's on my website and all the rest of it. But I don't need to shout about it, do I? Does that make sense? It's really, really important. It's really important. Genesis 1, 28, 29. Let us make man in our own image. Control and subdue the earth. Take authority over every living creature. That's what business is. That's what work is about. It's about humankind as creative, creator, intelligent. In Romans 12, verse 8, we're told that each of us has different gifts. Yes, we have gifts of prophesying and thank God for the prophets. We have gifts of serving, thank God for people who serve. I met someone uh, just at the back there, I said, how are you and who are you doing and what are you doing and thank you for what you're doing. This is while the worship was going on. And she said to me, I can't remember your name, I'm so sorry. She said to me, I'm from Brazil. I said, how long have you been here? Four months. And did you have a faith to go to church in Brazil? Well, only a little bit, she said. But I was connected here. I said, how did you find the Well, through the internet, through Google, YouTube actually. Um, i met someone someone and i'm now here and i've been here for months it completely changed my life and jesus is in my life and my husband's here he's doing the same thing <laughs> and i say thank god for that so we thank god for those who serve serving is a ministry i thank god for those who teach for those who encourage i thank god for those who lead i thank god for showing mercy that's is a ministry but we thank god for those who give You know, there there can't be any doctors in New Zealand without business. Did you know that? Business pays the salary of every doctor in New Zealand. It pays the salary of every teacher in New Zealand. Business is what pays for the roads, and business is what built this place. Business is what uh, pays for the clean water that you've got, and for the sanitation um, in the public toilets. Do you know why? Because without business, there's no taxes. Without taxes, there's no government income. Without government, no income. There ain't no democracy. Business is paying for the entire democracy bill. You might say, no, 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 no. doctors also pay taxes. No they don't, well they do, but where did the money come from in the first place? It came from traders, business, wealth makers, people selling sheep to America. The people selling sheep to America are paying money, which actually provides funds for the doctors, for the health service, for the teachers. Do you get what I'm saying here? So actually you can't have a church without business. You can't have a church without business. Uh, Business, work is absolutely fundamental. Giving is absolutely fundamental. Wealth creation, absolutely fundamental. And actually, since most people are spending most of their time in work, your greatest influence as a human being, your great mission field is in work. Now, while I, it's true I don't get up and preach a gospel in the riddle of an, uh, a, 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 an MBA program and a business school, I, I'm known as a believer, and people will talk to me about faith. In fact, as I've gone around um, uh, in just in the last few days across, different people regularly have come up to me and I want to talk to you about this, I want to talk to you about that. Someone said to me, I've just, I'm, I'm only 70, I've just started going to the church for the first time I say hallelujah fantastic wonderful to hear that so we, we, we infuse our work with our faith and our worship we carry the aroma of Christ and we take every opportunity appropriately when we are to respond to the curiosity of people around us about our faith yeah that's it right We don't hide the stuff, but we have to act appropriately too, or we'll abuse the hospitality that we have. And I'll tell you this, for the AIDS programs around the world, those programs don't exist except because of work. They work because they're sustained. These programs work because they are sustained by business. They're sustained by people who are making wealth and giving it away and that's how the work of asset works around the world. That's how we feed today 2,700 hungry children in Zimbabwe. We're doing it because it's fed primarily by business or by other people like doctors and nurses and social workers and others who are also basically paid by business. So, work is very important, business is very important, profit is very important. If you're not making a profit, you have no business. Everybody loses their jobs, okay? It's absolutely fundamental to have profit. By the way, Jesus knew all about that. Why? Because Jesus was a business person. Jesus was a manufacturer in wood. He had his own business. He, he had his small business. He had a shop. Uh, he, he took orders. He, he had to do his accounts. Um, he, I'm sure he employed people because life's too short for Jesus to have been sweeping up the wood shavings after every day. He would have hired someone to do it. <laughs> so he's an employer. Um, we had Paul was a, was a manufacturer of tents and sails um, and things like that. Wherever Paul went, he, he, he did work. Uh, he did paid work, which meant that he relieved the church of pressure to have to fund him out of their work. Um, and uh, we call it tent making today. And Peter, James and John were in a partnership together. They invested capital, they bought a boat, they bought nets, and by the way, they still owned them when Jesus was risen from the dead. What were they doing the day after? They're back with their boat, pushing it back into the Sea of Galilee, using their assets and and to earn some money, um, to get some fish, to take it to the market, to sell for a profit. So it's a, ho- it's a noble and holy calling. It's absolutely fundamental. Jesus talks himself about the principles of investment and stewardship and business. In Luke 19, to 26, there are two versions of this story. This is just one of them. The other one's in Matthew. Uh, ten miners or talents are given to ten people. That's like £10,000, $10,000. And the person who protected every dollar perfectly ends up losing his job. <laughs> The one who who was given 10, he comes back with 15 or whatever, great, well done. Uh, 10 up to 20, fantastic, well done. The chap who said, well, I've got every single thing protected perfectly, here it is in a plastic bag. Every single dollar, I've not wasted a single bit of it. He said, you are the most incompetent person I've ever come across in my life. You've so misused the assets and the wealth that you have. I'm sorry, I'm taking it all away from you. He took the whole lot away, and do you know who he gave it to? He gave it to the other guy. (laughs) The other guy he said, oh, by the way, I'm giving you 10 cities. I gave you $10,000 before. See, if you can be trusted in small things in your work, you'll be given bigger things to do. And, and uh, um, so it's a principle. It's a godly principle, and it's a practical principle. If you can be entrusted by your boss in small things and you do them really, really well, you'll be given 10 cities. And when you're given 10 cities, wow, not only do you have influence over those 10 cities and how they're run, think of what happened in the life of Joseph. And the life of Daniel, ordinary person, elevated suddenly to massive influence and control, but also tremendous personal wealth, which you can give away. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that exciting? So your work is your influence. Your influence is your work. The more you influence, the more you bless, the more you encourage, the more you're promoted. The more you're promoted, the more you're valued, the more money you get, and the more you can give away. Isn't that an incredible thing? It's so exciting. I can hardly contain myself. This is extraordinary. And here's the, here's the other part of it too, which is the time and the season for everything. It's also time to enjoy the fruit of our labour. Um, God put us in the garden to cultivate the land and to enjoy what comes. Now after the fall, things got a bit tough. But when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19. So, in conclusion then, business is a really holy ministry. Um, Working is a really holy ministry. Your ministry is your work. Your work is your ministry. It employs people, provides prosperity and financial security for entire communities and generations. It generates taxes and releases leaders and workers with a primary calling. Their primary calling, their primary work is teaching. Their primary work is encouragement. Their primary work is evangelism. uh, How amazing is that? And I come back to the aroma of Christ again. And this, I'd like us to stand. See, all of us, all of us. You see, the amazing thing is that you can't help but be a witness at work. People often ask me, "So, what does it mean to be an influence at work?" Paul tells us that you are the aroma of Christ in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15. Put your hands up if you have have you've had a baby in your life. Okay, you have a child. Okay, you know that babies babies witness to who they are they can't help it, they poop and they cry and they giggle and they gurgle and they swallow food and that's basically what babies do and they, yeah, and they smile a lot, so it's just amazing and we had four of them and now we've got five grandchildren You know, babies are amazing, things. they witness to who they are uh, the, the, the witnesses. A baby walks into the room,' You're aw- walks in, is carried into the room. You 're aware very quickly there's a baby in the house, right? A baby witnesses to who it is. You carry the aroma of Christ. A baby witnesses to what it is. it can 't help it. It is leaking data about itself. It is a baby. I am a baby. <laughs> you are the carrying the aroma of Christ. I am a, a child of God. I am a child of God. you can 't help it. You are exuding it. The very atmosphere is changed because a child of God is in the house. You are in the house, of God. you are in someone's house, you're in the office, you're in the street, you're in the clinic, you're in the hospital, you're in wherever you are. You carry the aroma of Christ, you are the aroma of Christ. You can't even hide the aroma of Christ, you can try and pretend not to be a Christian, else to and sniff you out. You are the aroma of Christ and to those who are being saved, it is the smell of salvation and to those who hate faith, you are the stench of death itself. So, of course, there'll be uh, reactions to who you are from time to time because of your values, your culture, and the very presence of Christ within you. But you are the aroma of Christ. This is your ministry. is to carry that aroma of Christ into every street, every hospital, every clinic, every every town hall, every factory, every school, every college, every mother's and toddler's club, every kindergarten, into every every coffee meeting into every coffee shop into every restaurant you are the aroma of Christ you carry the aroma of Christ you are transforming situations even by who you are you know yesterday Sheila and I went to see some friends and uh, we were with someone who lived with us in a critical period of her life. She came when she was 16 years old. She stayed till she was 18 years old. We were in that home with their wonderful children who have now grown up there in faith. And the most important thing is, actually, as we sat there, as we sat in the car, we prayed for them and we wondered if we would need to bring some word of the Lord to them. You know what, as we sat there, um, her sister came, who's also in our church back in London, from next door there, um, and came in. And her sister has started to speak to us things that we had preached 22 years ago that we had even forgotten. We didn't even say anything about Christ because we were carrying the aroma of Christ into that place. And as we sat there, she was starting to relay to Sheila words that Sheila couldn't even remember. She said, I remember you saying this about prayer. I remember you saying this about this. I remember you saying this about this. And she was speaking out words of truth. We didn't need to say anything. The fact that we were there, the house was filled with the aroma of Christ, not because of anything in us, not because of our goodness, not because of our great works, not because of our fantasticness, but because we were dead, we were spooked out, we were broken and damaged and wrecked like every other human being here. But God, rich in his mercy for the great and love he bore us, raised us to life in Christ. He brought us to life and put a new song of praise in our heart, a hymn of praise to our God. The aroma of Christ is not because you're so perfect. It's not because your deodorant has been applied this morning. The aroma of Christ is because of the supernatural presence of Jesus Christ breathing in you. You stink of the kingdom. You stink of the kingdom. You, you, you are leaking perfume of the kingdom. You walk into every situation and people smell the place is changing. And if you don't believe me, uh, well, it's just true, it's there, it's scripture, you don't have to believe me because if you don't believe me, you're denying the very Word of God itself. You are the Rome of Christ, stand tall in that, you don't need to be aggressive about your faith, nor do you need to apologise for it. You just be, be there and be the very best servants you can be, bless them up to the eyeballs, be the best you can possibly be, and shine as much as you can possibly shine, and believe that you have something extraordinary to bring. Uh, And wisdom and love and common sense and care and dignity and and efficiency effectiveness and reliability and just be there and that is your ministry and tonight we'll look at your calling let's just pray together Lord we thank you that we are we are your children we thank you that you saved us not because of our greatness but because of your greatness Uh, because of your greatness and our brokenness you we were dead but you brought us alive uh, we, were, we were nothing, but you made us something. We were weak, but you empowered us. We were finished, but you started us again. You brought us to life. You gave us a new life. You put a sing a new hymn of praise, of thanks and adoration in our hearts. And we lift up each other before you, Lord, as a people movement of workers in your kingdom to influence and transform this world. In Jesus' name, amen.